Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. In today's episode, I'm joined by Adria Wu, a natural chef and the founder of Maple & Co. Adria will be sharing her wisdom on food, cooking and health, including how to set up and build a successful food business and a thriving career as a natural chef. Adria will be explaining how to cook with whole foods and her recommendations on essential kitchen cupboard items and healthy recipes to cook at home. Adria left her corporate life nearly 10 years ago to study at CNM and Le Cordon Bleu Culinary School, both of which she currently teaches at. She's a natural chef and the founder of Maple & Co., a healthy eating concept with multiple London locations, which has been featured as one of the top three food-to-go concepts by MCA, and Time Out's Best Vegan and Best Healthy Restaurants. Adria also presents on Channel 4's Sunday Brunch, mentors aspiring chefs in entrepreneurship, and regularly speaks about wellness with partners such as Soho House, the Tate Museum and Estee Lauder. She's been featured in numerous publications, including The Times, Cosmopolitan and The Evening Standard. Adria is incredibly passionate about creating great-tasting, fresh, healthy food that is also fun and exciting. She hopes to build communities through her love for balanced cooking and teaching others how to cook from home. Hi, Adria. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, Michelle. Thank you very much for having me. I'm super excited to not be attached to my seven-week-old baby at the moment. and I'm absolutely thrilled to be on the podcast today. We're thrilled to have you and a big congratulations. That is good going coming here on our podcast seven weeks in. So (laughs) well done you. Now, healthy cooking is always a hot topic, especially now that people are spending more time at home and working from a home office. You know, we're all looking for inspiration in the kitchen and ways to cook delicious, tasting, healthy meals. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your tips and advice on that. But before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at CNM and your experience in the industry? Absolutely. Well, you've done a lovely intro. Thank you, Michelle. Well, first of all, a bit about myself. As you can tell from my accent, I am not native to England. (laughs) I was born and raised in Canada. My heritage, I'm Chinese by heritage. So growing up really like we were always surrounded with lots of food, lots of fresh food. Um, You know, with my parents, we always liked going to the fishmonger, going to the butcher. And so really, Mm -hmm. as a child, I learned how to cook from scratch and cook you know, using whole foods. Obviously, that was a long time ago. I had a career in a corporate environment for about 10 years before I retrained as a chef. So that's where some of my, you know, passion for business for creating businesses being an entrepreneur comes from. And then now I have the fortunate experience and time to be able to teach at the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I am part of the Natural Chef Diploma team. I'm a lecturer there. I've been teaching there since 2017. And I teach a whole host of different classes within the program. So, you know, everything from, you know, basic knife skills, how to use tools in the kitchen, to learning how to use ingredients that are great for different therapeutics, all the way to teaching the business planning lecture at CNM. So, I really get to take what I learn in the industry, what I learn from others in the industry, and then apply it at the Natural Chef course here at CNM. Great. And tell us about your journey with Maple & Co. 
Well, Maple & Co., it's a journey, that's for sure, <laughs> um, like anything in life. So as I mentioned earlier, I, I wasn't always a chef. You know, I've always loved being around food, but I, I didn't start off as that. So Maple & Co. is my baby before my having my actual two babies. <laughs> So in uh, 2015 was when I started uh, Maple & Co. And really the whole philosophy and passion behind Maple & Co. is just, you know, having moved to London myself um, in 2012 was just to find a place that I could have good, really great tasting food at a good price that was easily accessible. I, I really couldn't find that. I think there were lots of great to-go concepts at the time, but, you know, for people with dietary requirements, for example, anyone who's, you know, free from, you know, dairy, gluten, wheat, mm-hmm. there weren't many places you could go and especially even like vegetarian options. So, you know, I wanted to create a place where people could find fresh food that was delicious, that was balanced, that really made you feel good. I think that was a really key important thing was, you know, you want to eat so that you enjoy it from a taste perspective, but also so that you don't feel tired, you know, after mm-hmm. you yeah. eat a meal or you feel sluggish, you want to feel energized, you want to feel ready to conquer the day, you know, whether that be taking care of your family, going out with friends, you know, killing a presentation at work, you know, smashing it. So I think it's really about eating for energy as well. So that's kind of the, the philosophy behind it. And kind of fast forward to now, um, a lot has happened and given, you know, the current COVID environment, exactly one year ago, we had just opened our eighth Maple & Co. location in London. And, you know, a wonderful team of men and women who support me in my business. There's about 45 of us on the team, again, pre kind of COVID, who've helped me build the business to where it is now, basically. And looking ahead, 2021 will be our seventh year um, as Maple & Co. So lots of exciting changes coming and which I'll, I'll, you know, I'll share a little bit later as we talk more about becoming um, a natural chef in a lovely, you know, industry that we're in. Yeah, looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, what an achievement. And it's amazing when you look back and you think what you've achieved in those seven years. It's phenomenal. Thank you. It's, you know, like I said, it doesn't come without, you know, blood, sweat and tears, (laughs) tears of happiness and tears of (laughs) sadness. And I think that's part and parcel about being in the hospitality industry. I think, you know, the one thing, you know, I want to share with those who are listening today or thinking about starting a career in hospitality is like, the passion is absolutely there. If you love food, if you love being around people, if you love the hospitality sector, it is super fun, but it is also incredibly stressful. And it is a really, really tough industry, you know, to be in it's, it's long hours. It's often hours that, you know, you rather be relaxing than working. So it, like I said, it has a lot of its um, up and down, but I think one of the things I found given, like I said, I came from a corporate background, being a chef now is that it's really satisfying to be able to work with your hands and be creative. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, I'm on my feet most days, Um, being on your feet, you know, running around creating in the kitchen. It's such a satisfying feeling. It's like I said, instant gratification when you see someone eat your meal or your dish that you've created, a smile on their face, you know, them telling you that they feel great after it's super rewarding as well. So Absolutely. Yeah, ups and downs, I would say, for sure. Yes, and I think it's been a really challenging industry, as you say, for the hospitality for the last year. So hopefully that will start to to pick up. But I think, you know, with so many businesses, and I imagine for yourself as well, you've had to sort of pivot, you know, quite significantly and sort of change. But equally, that brings a lot of challenges. But equally, it's kind of, it helps you develop the business and go in new, you know, explore new avenues, doesn't it? Like as an entrepreneur, your job is never done, right? You're you're constantly pivoting. (laughs) 
forgetting. You're constantly trying new things. And I think that's, you know, really, you know, again, for those thinking about starting their own business and, and, you know, creating something of their own, it is about that pivoting, that flexibility um, and, and being creative, whether times are good or when times are tough. Absolutely. And you're going to be giving us some more tips and advice a bit later on. So super excited about hearing that. Before we get started, for those listeners who aren't aware, can you please explain what a natural chef is and the difference between a natural chef and a normal chef? That's a great question, Michelle. I get that a lot when I introduce myself as a natural chef. <laughs> and in fact, when some, as a joke one time, someone asked me whether I was born, you know, naturally as a chef. <laughs> That's obviously not, not, not with the natural chef. No, I was not born a chef, but... Um, yeah, I mean, coming from obviously studying at Cordon Bleu and then getting my diploma as well at CNM, you know, there's, I would say, a, a vast difference between um, a normal chef and a natural chef. Plus, you know, with all the work I do, for example, with Tate Modern and Tate Britain, um, it really is about uh, taking, obviously, your chef skills, you know, your ability mm-hmm. to pair flavors together, your ability to create textures in, in, you know, on a plate and in someone's mouth, your ability to create color visual impact on a plate, make something look really appetizing, or nowadays, I guess, Instagrammable is probably more important than appetizing. (laughs) So of course, these are all things as chefs, we, we learn um, there are also some, you know, fundamentals of things that you need to learn as a chef, obviously hygiene, health, safety, how to work efficiently, how to cost dishes, make them profitable and things like, cause there's a lot of like technical stuff as well, but really the main difference between a normal chef and a natural chef is the natural chef's ability to heal through food. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of, for me, the main difference when I think about, look, at the end of the day, a lot of us can look at things online, um, we can read a lot about, you know, everything seems to be a superfood these days, which they are not. But you know, everything <laughs> you look up is super. But as a natural chef, we get to distinguish, you know, what are really the therapeutic foods, the foods that can really help heal us or prevent us from getting ill, and helping people with dietary requirements. I think, you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit later as well, myself now recently joining the club of free from everything. Um, you know, how do you still make food tasty for those who can't eat everything, right? Who those who are allergies or who choose not to eat every food that's out there. Um, so as a natural chef, we learn how to support that as well. And I think that industry of people kind of becoming more aware and mindful of what they're eating has grown exponentially and will continue to grow over the next few years, especially like you mentioned, Michelle, people are now cooking more, they're working more from home, they're just more aware of foods. And so really as natural chefs, we can help inspire, we can help support, um, and we can really just, uh, you know, help others, you know, eat well and, and really enjoy food for its kind of social benefits for its ability to kind of relax us, entertain us, but also to heal us. Absolutely. But essentially, it's kind of using food as medicine, isn't it? And the healing properties of foods to kind of, yeah, benefit the body. Exactly. I mean, as what, you know, in a Western society, we're so quick to grab that pill to solve a problem. But really, you know, if we look at the fundamentals and the basics of where we're starting, um, food is kind of one of the first places, you know, I'd love everyone around the world to be looking to. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's key, isn't it? It's fundamental, isn't it? Exactly. The other the other stuff just supports the body. But if you if you don't get the diet right, then you're not going to get very far. Yeah, absolutely. 
So now CNM's natural chef training is quite unique. It's actually like a one of a kind, the course actually. So can you give us a little bit of an overview of what you learn on the course and what makes it different to other courses? Yeah, being a graduate and a lecturer there, like obviously I'm, I'm very, very passionate about the course. We work with some great experts in the field, chefs, nutritionists, naturopaths who are on the team who work alongside me to continuously evolve the course. I think that's one of the things that's most unique. The whole natural foods, nutrition, as you and I know, it's ever evolving, right? There's mm-hmm. always new information. The way food has grown changes, you know, year over year. Think about what avocados meant to us 15 years ago to what an avocado means to us today. Think about ancient yeah. grains, what that used to mean to us. Nobody knew what ancient grain was, but now everyone knows what quinoa is. So I think between food and the industry changing, one thing that I think is really unique here is that we're constantly evolving the content, the curriculum, what we teach. So it's really kind of at the forefront of, of natural chefs. And I think partly as well is kind of jumping into, yes, we learn about how to maneuver yourself in a kitchen, the f- basics of like soups, stocks, stews, you know, menu planning, you know, food photography, things like that. But we really jump into some more fun stuff like fermenting. And, you know, if anyone's doing the vegan thing of the vegan course, like the vegan nut cheese, um, you know, doing a lot of healthy baking, raw cooking. And then there's a big, huge section, which is kind of, for me, my favorite is um, the food for health and kind of therapeutic side. So that's mm-hmm. where we jump quite deep into, you know, um, deep into dishes, foods, ingredients that can support with things like, you know, stress and mental health. Obviously, that's one we're all, you know, facing in one way or another now that Mm -hmm, we're all working from home. You know, I think it's really important. And there's obviously kind of some of the more traditional things like detoxification that we want to support. And then some of the more chronic things like, you know, aging um, and degenerative diseases associated with that things like heart and lungs, your digestive system, immunity, autoimmune. So that whole section on like therapeutics, um, as a student, I found incredibly interesting. And then again, even as a lecturer now, it's um, an area that I think has a lot of rich content in that really makes the, the, the course unique. Absolutely. And I've heard that from students and graduates. Their favorite section was the therapeutic menu planning and cooking for different health conditions. So it's just something you can't you can't learn that online. Like you can't learn that, you know, through Google, you know, looking on Google. It's really about being in class, being with your peers. You know, you discuss about the different conditions, you create dishes together, you taste each other's dishes at the end. Although now with COVID, tasting becomes a little bit more challenging. Yeah, bummer. Uh, But (laughs) but definitely like, you know, in, in non-COVID times, like one of the things I enjoy the most is, and I, the way I run my classes, I'm quite strict, but I give the students, you know, one hour, it's, you know, one hour to complete your dish. And then we all bring our dishes up and then we discuss, we chat, we, we talk about the flavors that we've used. We talk about the ingredients, we talk about the techniques. And, and again, like, like I said, discuss the different conditions, health conditions that this dish helps support. And I think it's just a really lovely environment to, you know, not just be creative, but um, help each other and support each other. Absolutely. No, it sounds fantastic. And I think students that do that course, do the natural chef course, they really have that edge. Um, It gives you, you know, something that other chefs don't have in terms of all the, you know, the health side of things. Yeah. And a lot of the traditional chefs, if you think about like Cordon Bleu and, you know, of course, having studied Cordon Bleu, I'm I'm also very passionate about the program there as well. 
But again, you think about the traditional chefs and how they were raised, you know, the likes of like Gordon Ramsay, Michelle Roux. It's more the traditional method, the French cooking. Yes. And I love French cuisine, the heavy salt, butter, fat, sugar. But, <laughs> you know, you need to balance that with um, the whole food cooking as well. So... Absolutely. So what are some career paths and opportunities available to natural chefs when they graduate? I mean, there's so much happening out there. And like I said earlier, I teach the business planning module. So I could talk, I won't talk forever. I could. So I'm going to try and be (laughs) as succinct as possible. But I've been teaching the business planning module for, I guess, like four years now. And that section on career paths, I have to update pretty much every time I teach that class because it's constantly changing veganism for example that is incredibly on that like think about again five years ago veganism wasn't that popular right now you look at it and veganuary is like such a big thing so you know the careers are ever evolving but absolutely you know for now one of the biggest ones um you know as natural chefs that are really on trend right now are developing um virtual brands and like dark kitchens and for those who don't know what that is you know that's working from a kitchen that doesn't have a physical presence on on a high street so that's working you okay know, um either it's in a, you know, these are purpose-built kitchens that are meant for deliveries only so that's a really big trend and what we call a virtual brand. So you don't need a physical storefront, but you sell everything online. So that's a big one. Another one obviously is kind of the education and like experiential dining is always going to be a big one, you know, cooking classes. Again, that could be virtual workshops, things like that, even virtual supper clubs. Now I see those happening as well. And, and so there's always as a net chef, we have lots of chefs who go on to developing their own series of kind of like education, if you want to call it that category. And I would say kind of the third biggest one really um, I see as well is on the consulting side. And again, I've done a lot of this myself, um, menu consultation. So whether that's for, you know, I've done some work with like Hilton Hotels, um, helping consult them and helping them develop a nutrition-led menu. Again, going to my earlier point about the Michelle Roux and the um, Gordon Ramsay's of the world, like these chefs are wonderful chefs, but they didn't kind of their foundations aren't based on the nutrition led menu. So in terms of the techniques of like fermenting, sprouting, the way we can take foods and make them vegan friendly, you know, gluten-free, all that stuff. I think there's really big demand for a lot of the hospitality sector to transform their wonderfully traditional delicious menus to something that's suited for all dietary requirements, which really is kind of what we're looking at going forward is people are more aware of their own allergies and chefs need to, and businesses need to scale and adapt to suit that palate. So I would say those are kind of like three big ones, but again, the business planning course, I spend like six hours talking about this, so I won't jump into, but there's tons, <laughs> you know, you know, being a chef, you know, going into retreats, um, even like working as a private chef for I I myself worked for um, a very affluent family um, in London as their um, private home chef for a while. They lived in this big, huge mansion in Regent's Park, you know, one of those big houses Mm, in Regent's Park Mm. um, (laughs) as one of their family chefs. So again, lots and of course, um, food styling, food writing and all these things as well. So lots. (laughs) Well, the world's your oyster, really. There's so many opportunities out there. That's the thing. There's just so many out there. It's really what what you want to make of it um, and how you go about um, taking a career in that direction. 
Absolutely. And even if you don't want a career as a natural chef, sometimes there's quite a few students on the course that are doing it just to learn how to cook healthy foods for their families or, you know, for themselves. So I think that's an important point as well. Absolutely. So in the last decade, you've built a a thriving health food business, become a television presenter, mentor and teacher. How did it all come to fruition after you graduated as a natural chef? Yeah, so I'm, um, I guess, I I think I mentioned this, I studied as an engineer before going into corporate. And so I am a very, um, I'm very methodical and, and procedural in the way I think, the way I plan my life, you know, so I'm all about planning and, um, <laughs> you know, rightfully, good. yeah, right, rightfully or wrongfully, not, not everyone is like this. And of course, if you're a big planner like me, you know that things don't always go to plan. So I think um, while a plan is very, very important, you know, it's really about also being flexible with your planning. Um, mm-hmm. And I think about kind of how I've have gone about it. there are kind of I would say like five things that I would say it kind of took me to get to where I am now. And of course, I'm not to where I ultimately want to be. You know, I always want to get better, do more, but they're kind of five things. So first of all, I would say is to find your goal and passion in what you want to do. Um, you know, and again, like anyone who's kind of thinking about, you know, cooking better, cooking more, um, and, and potentially starting a business or getting into this industry, um, you really kind of want to start off with understanding what's the reason for, you know, why you want to, why you want to do this. It's really that mm-hmm. why question, right? Yeah. Is it to, um, do something you love and you're, you're tired of, you know, the career path you're on now? Is it that you want to, um, have a certain amount of financial gain, you know, from, from doing this, or is it that you, you, you know, you want to help others, right? And it could be a combination of all of those. It could be one of those, but I think it is about being honest with yourself, um, finding out what your personal goal is and then how to quantify that as successful, right? So if you want to help others, what does that mean to be successful? Is it that you help 10 people a year, then you feel successful. Is it that you want to help thousands of people a year? That's your measure of success. And again, mm-hmm. these goals can change, but I think having something that's quantifiable, you know, um, is really important. And whether, like you said, if it's a passion and you want to be happier in your career, you know, for me being happy doesn't mean every day, every single day I wake up and I'm happy and I'm smiling and I'm passionate. It doesn't mean that, but you know, for me being happy means that, you know, most of the time, I would say 80% of the time, I love what I do. I'm very happy. I wake up, I spring out of bed. But yeah, there is that 10 to 20% where I'm not happy. It's very stressful. So again, it's about Mm -hmm. understanding yourself, being honest, a bit of soul searching, right? To to find out. So I think that's like the first thing. The second thing, like I said already, plan. So make a plan. Your plan can be one page long. It could be 10 pages long. And the plan can change. But I think it is important to have something that you can look out five, 10 years of where you want to head, how you're going to head to that um, end point and, and mapping out that plan. So again, you know, let's say you want to write a cookbook, you know, when do you want to have a cookbook ready by? Is it in a year's time? Is it in five years time? You know, how are you going to get there? Having a rough plan is really important because it forces you as well to um, understand the process of getting there. Again, you could be lucky, right? Some people 
become incredibly lucky. They're super talented. You know, they publish cookbook, bang, it's a success. But for most of us, it actually Mm -hmm. takes a lot of planning. And a lot of times that's not clear, right? It looks like people are naturally successful, but actually a lot of times it does create a lot of planning, a lot of hard work. So I say this, that's the second point is make a plan. Um, Third thing is to um, kind of create your story and your brand. Like I think nowadays, like there's, it's such a crowded market, right? Like there's so many things happening out there, a lot of people marketing themselves, but I think it is important to understand what makes you unique as an individual. So if you're going to market your brand, yourself, your business, you know, what is kind of that one liner that makes you unique and makes you different? And again, it's not an easy uh, answer. It could be, you know, a few nights of, you know, um, chats with friends over a glass of wine or those who don't drink, maybe, you know, some tea, but it is about kind of thinking that one liner, how you're going to market yourself and your business. Um, It should be, you know, kind of easy to explain. Right. Um, And then, you know, point four is networking. I can't stress that enough. Like I think when I first moved to London, that was probably one of the most daunting things for me to do is to rebuild my network. I didn't know anybody here, um, you know, and hospitality as a sector is very much, um, you know, white male dominated, right? So for me being a female visible minority, I'm Chinese. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it is, it is very intimidating. You know, when I go to networking events, I don't know if Michelle, you've been in similar situations as well, you know, being a female, you know, sometimes yes. it is, it is very intimidating, right? But I think we have to put ourselves out there. And again, whether you're male or female, it is about putting yourself out there, sharing your, your passion, sharing your story, um, telling people what you're trying to achieve. And I think you'd be surprised like where that takes you and who reaches out and, and, you know, how you end up connecting. And, you know, over the years, you know, we've worked with some great people. We've worked with some great brands through Maple. Like, you know, we did, we worked with Nike, we've worked with Chanel, Louboutin, we've worked with, um, you know, um, Boohoo, tons of brands. And again, a lot of that comes from networking and and meeting people, you know, a friend of a friend told someone else, you know. Um, So I think it is really important to build your networks, no matter who you meet and, and share with people with what you're doing. And then the last thing really is um, something that I really believe in is just the whole mentorship side of building a business and getting into an industry. Uh, There's no way I would be where I am now without my many, many mentors over the years. Um, Those who have, you know, just been a sounding board, those who have formally coached me, you know, having a mentor is really important. And that's also why I'm always mentoring. So I'm always mentoring. because I think it's kind of that life cycle of, you know, I think if you send good energy out in the world, it'll come back to you. So I think so many people have helped me. And so I think I always want to help others. And I think that finding a good mentor really is um, um, kind of your, to keep your sanity as well, really someone, someone to talk. I think sometimes my mentors feel like they're my therapist too. So <laughs> it's um, a mix well, it's of a sounding board, yeah, isn't it? Sounding, really? yeah. It's it's someone who's away from your business day to day, who's not your investor, who's not your partner, who's not your friend, but someone who really is going to be kind of impartial, who can, um, you know, help you think through some challenges, whether they're be emotional or, you know, practical issues you're dealing with at work. So, 
Oh, absolutely. And it's somebody that's been there. There's somebody yeah. that's made the mistakes, absolutely. that's had the same challenges, yes. you know, on some level. Yes. So it's really, yeah, yes. having a mentor is key. Yeah. And that's really some really great tips and advice. And I, I completely agree on the, the networking side of things. Because I think what happens quite often, people are afraid to tell people what they do. Exactly. You know, you've got to shout it from the rooftops, you know, yeah. because that's where those referrals come, isn't it? From yeah. family, friends, randoms you meet yeah. at the shop or, yeah. <laughs> or an event, you yeah. know. So I think that's really really yeah, I key. love how you said like it's it's that you know people are hesitant they're afraid well what if I fail and everyone knows I was trying to do this but you know what yes. if, you, if you don't share it you're you're already starting off on a back foot anyway so I say scream it at the end of the day and then people always ask well what if someone copies my idea and that again that was my point three about making it your own unique story so you know you as an individual cannot be copied so what makes your brand you unique your product I think um, it, it's the individual at the end of the day because we're all different absolutely and I think you know that comes up quite a lot it's like oh you know why should I start a podcast or why should I start a blog there's like thousands of uh food blogs out there or whatever yeah. and it's like well no one's doing it the way you're yeah, doing exactly. it you know you, you've got a different spin on it you know yeah. and as you say yeah everybody is unique yeah. and nobody's gonna do it the way you do it exactly and, so, and you're going to, you know, you know, might not resonate with everybody out there, but you're going to resonate with some people and you'll find yes. your audience or tribe or whatever you want to yeah, call it. So, totally. so I think that's really, really key. So what's the one piece of advice you wish you would have had when you started out? Oh, this is such a tricky one. Honestly, there's like a million things I would have, <laughs> <laughs> I would have told my, myself, you know, 10 years ago when I started this, but I think given the environment we're in now, a lot of us had had a chance to reflect about our lives professionally, personally, at every angle. And I think for me, one thing I wish had, you know, advice I would have told myself was to be bold, be bold. I think, again, nowadays, you know, there's, so, like you said, so many people out there doing lots of different things. It's a very crowded market playing safe is not the way to go because anyone can play it safe, but it's really about being bold. So I think yeah. when I started off, you know, I was always worried, well, you know, should, should we do this? You know, should we do that? You know, one, one very good example was like turning the maple bakery range to being completely gluten-free. You know, at first, you know, I thought, well, I don't, I don't really want to make everything gluten-free because, you know, um, that might limit some of the products we can do and it might, kind of just not be some people used to associate gluten-free with like non-tasty food right so yes but sure enough you know after opening maple a year later you know we went 100% gluten-free in our bakery and it was you know a decision that we made you know that we haven't turned back on because then we were putting ourselves putting a position in the market saying that we want to be totally gluten-free right and I think um, you look at a lot of brands out there as well it's just kind of putting your foot out there. And again, some of the things work out well, some of the things don't go well, but I think it is about being bold and also being kind of, you know, unapologetic, you know, for example, as well, we have um, our gluten-free brownie. It's gluten-free, but it's not a healthy brownie. It's a very indulgent brownie, but mm -hmm. let's be yeah. bold about that, right? Let's be, say, this is a really, you know, damn good tasting brownie. It is not healthy, but it's really good and it, it, it's gluten-free. So if you've had your balanced whole foods for the day, why not have a bowl, to, you know, a bite of something sweet, like a sweet treat. So I think it is about, you know, on, on the food side, just, just being bold and in what you believe in and not shying away from it. Absolutely. I love that. I love that advice. Yeah. That's really, because I think a lot of people do, we want to sort of, 
uh, conform and yeah. you know stay within the lines I'm not saying that you've got to go and do things like illegally or anything or yeah. um, but it's about you know it's about standing out and what how are you going to make your brand stand out yeah. is it your brand colors it's exactly. the products you're offering you yes. know or is it your personality yeah. you know like some people are you know, have this kind of very um, unique personality and they can bring that through their branding. So I think that's really key. I love that. Okay, now let's move on to cooking with whole foods. Can you please explain what this means and how one would go about it? Yeah, so whole foods to me is um, very, very, very simple, uh, you know, at at a macro level. And again, we can go into a lot more details, but really cooking with whole foods means cooking with ingredients that mother nature gave us. So Mm -hmm. it's nothing that's processed. So if you're looking at a product, it should be recognized. You know, it's, it's come from the earth. It hasn't been treated or processed in, in, in some way. And so the more we can eat foods in its natural state, the better we are. Mind you, obviously, you know, some things have to be changed a little bit for packaging and things like that, but what you don't want to do is start going down the path of eating foods that have ingredients that you ha- you can't even recognize. Like the the number of products I have out there that are marketed as healthy that aren't actually healthy. You know, sometimes you look on the back yes. and it's like, I'm sure you see this too, Michelle. They're ingredients I can't even All pronounce. The time. Right? Yes. <laughs> and, and it's shocking that those are marketed as healthy products. So I think for me, it's steer clear from anything that's been processed, refined, treated, packaged prepped um but eat things you know prepare foods or eat foods that come from mother nature really absolutely and I think that's the thing people do buy into the marketing and if they don't read the labels and look at the contents you know you've got these rancid oils you know hidden sugars called all these fancy names um and people yeah people are misled really and they sort of get tricked into buying these things yeah i mean i do i I often do a corporate well-being talk around sugar and there are over 75 names for sugar yes it's crazy isn't (laughs) it it's crazy yeah yeah okay so it's just about getting back to basics and eating foods in their whole states you know organic vegetables fruits you know nuts and seeds those types of foods exactly and and it's just not you know not going down that path of anything that's processed and of course then adding flavor to it is really important so I think people are always afraid you know if I'm eating you know these these all these natural foods I'm worried my food isn't going to taste as great but actually it's the opposite you know if you're eating organic food like my favorite is garlic you know you know garlic from you know, from China, you know, I hate to give it and, you know, I'm Chinese myself, so I guess I can say it, but um, (laughs) garlic from China has no taste because, you know, they're, they're mass produced. So in order to make like a tomato sauce with garlic, you know, if I'm getting a non-organic piece of garlic from China, I'll need 10 pieces of garlic. If I use one piece of organic garlic, you know, grown locally, it just has the same amount of taste. It's more fragrant, it's tastier, you know, and and obviously the nutritional benefits as well. I think that's the other thing too, when food is really processed, a lot of times when food is processed, it becomes maybe easier to cook, faster to cook, easier to access, longer shelf life, all these things. And when I was an engineer, actually, I worked for one of the biggest food manufacturers in North America. And in order to create wonderful shelf stable foods that we have now in the western world you know we can have anything at you know at our fingertips these days but as a sacrifice society what we've had to do is that we've had to add preservatives and sugars and fats and salts 
and not a natural way to be able to have foods at our fingertips. So we really have to be careful about, you know, as a society, we demand things, right? We want things on demand, but how manufacturers respond and we demand things at a low price. So when you demand things at a low price as a consumer, manufacturers respond by taking shortcuts, right? How else are they going to give you really great tasting food at a cheap price, right? There's bound to be shortcuts. So I think you do have to kind of balance, you know, it doesn't mean you have to have a a big budget to eat whole. I think that's the other misconception with eating whole foods. People think, well, you know, I have to have, you know, a certain amount of money to be able to buy organic and always eat organic. But actually, no, you don't have to eat everything organic. It is better, but there are some things you really should eat organic. And there are some things that, you know, you don't have to eat organic, right? Like I think, you know, dairy, if you're eating dairy is a big one, right? Dairy, any meats, like you should really be organic, but you know, if you're eating a banana where the peel gets peeled off anyways, does that banana need to be organic, you know, or if you're things yep. that you're not eating on, you know, regularly, right. If, if once in a while you're adding a little bit of parsley into your meal, do you know, does the parsley need to be organic? No, but if you're eating parsley every day, should it be organic? Yes, absolutely. But if you're eating parsley once a month, then, you know, you don't have to worry so much. So I think it is about finding that balance of what it means to eat kind of whole and organic if you can't do it all the time. No, absolutely. And we've got a great blog post on the website. We'll put a link in the show notes all about organic food. And there's the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. And those are the, you know, the cleanest 15 um, vegetables and fruit that have less pesticides residue. And then the 12, the the dirty dozen is the 12 most pesticide heavy vegetables that you do want to go organic. Exactly. so uh but yeah as you say convenience comes at a cost and unfortunately the cost is our health isn't it yeah it's you know it's really and again like as you know as a western society we've kind of pushed this like if you think about the way our our grandmothers used to eat grandmothers 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 you know you know you took what you had from the earth around you you know around your physical surroundings so you wouldn't always have strawberries in the middle of winter right like I always find that incredible that in the UK we can get strawberries in the dead of winter when really you know um, strawberries are natural uh, and abundant in July in the UK, right? So yes, um, yeah, it's always a bit frightening, I would say. Yeah. It really is. It is. So, what are some essential kitchen cupboard items that people would need for a whole food cooking? So, some of the things, and again, I think um, you know, you you want to start off, you know, small if you're not used to this, and, and kind of build up your pantry. But you know, absolutely, one of my f- most essential favorite thing. And, um, my husband is actually Indian. And one of the first things my mother-in-law did when we first started dating was she bought me a a little kind of metal box and a lot of, um, Indian chefs, um, at home chefs or anyone who just cooks would have this, but it's a little spice holder. So that's what she, she got for me when we first started dating, which is really lovely. And so spices, I would say is, my pantry essential. There are a lot of health benefits to eating your curcumin ranges, you know, as well as taste when it comes to spices. So again, I could go into lots of detail about, you know, the health benefits of all the different spices, but really the thing about spice I love is it brings a lot of taste and flavor to, to what we eat. So, you know, your roasted vegetables can be transformed in 10 different ways, depending on the spice you. So roast cauliflower using paprika tastes very different than roast cauliflower using some fennel seeds versus using like a garam masala, which is like a mixed spice versus using some of your Middle Eastern spices like sumac and saffron. So I'd really say start off with your spices. And if you're less familiar with spices, um, you know, start off with your whole 
um, spices that are popular and then start using mixes like garam masala as you feel more comfortable or making even your own spice mixes as you feel more comfortable. Like a, you know, like a Chinese five spice is wonderful. Like I use Chinese five spice on so many things. That's like star anise, um, uh, peppercorns, like Sichuan uh, peppercorns. Um, and so it's a really nice mix. So I'd say spice is a big one. Another one as well, and I'm sure you have lots of these too, Michelle, like um, nut butters and nut and seed oils, right? Yes, yummy. Like I think there's so many lovely, wonderful, delicious like butters and oils. And I think those kind of following a more naturopathic approach to eating will know that um, dairy is probably one of the types of foods want to limit. So instead of going for like dairy rich sauces and flavors and fats, we actually want to go for like the nuts and seeds side. So like, what, what are some of your favorites? Like I love sesame oil. Like I put it in so many things <laughs> or like tahini. Uh, yeah. Well. I was just going to say tahini. I love tahini. Um, oh gosh, all the nut butters. I love. Yeah. yeah like even Almond like recently butter. I did like, um, I did, we did a little cooking. Maybe Michelle, you can pop in the link. I did a little demo on detoxification. And yes. one of the recipes was a pumpkin seed butter sauce. Oh, yummy. With some uh, sun-dried tomatoes. So I don't know if the, the link is somewhere, but um, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put, we'll put that in the show after, but it's such a Moorish sauce and it's totally free from dairy and and some of some of the nasty sometimes you might have with like a really creamy moorish type sauce but it was a pumpkin seed butter and it was so yummy oh sounds delicious yeah another er like having dried herbs in the kitchen you know so again having your rosemary your thyme and things like that those are things you can sprinkle into soups you can do roasting vegetables you can put into a stir fry a really really easy I think with kind of the spices and the herbs, those two things together, they can really go into any recipe. And it is about being a bit more comfortable. And people will always say, well, I don't know how much to add. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I would say start with a little bit and then just taste, right? So if you're doing a soup, you're not sure how much paprika to add. Put a little bit of paprika, let it cook for a couple of minutes, try it, right? And if you feel like you can taste the paprika, great. If you feel like you want more, add more. Same as with herbs. Obviously, herbs will infuse a little bit over time as you're cooking it. You can start with a little bit and can always kind of add more, right? So I always think with if you're a bit new to this, less is more, I would say, because you can always add more to it. And then kind of a few other, two other ones, nutritional yeast. I love having nutritional yeast yes. in the pantry. I think yeah. a lot of nat chefs have that. It's a wonderful kind of umami tasting and I love umami taste and for those who um, aren't familiar umami is kind of like that like sweet and salty taste right like the taste you get when you're having like cheese or like fermented things where you kind of taste both sweet and savory at the same time so nutritional yeast has lots of you know health benefits and it's really tasty it's like completely free from and it's uh, a really good one again to add to your dishes and the last thing is having like pulses and legumes so again, you know, your chickpeas, your lentils, um, black beans, navy beans, kidney beans, black eyed beans, you know, cannellini beans, uh, all these kind of beans. And you can have them either in canned or dried, of course, having dried and soaking them and cooking from scratch is better than having a canned version. But look, we're all busy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think if you're, if you're worried about not having time, have both, right? And on the nights you have time to remember to soak and, and cook in a pressure cooker or on a stovetop grate. And for those nights that you have don't have time and you're just on the go, have the canned ready. Why not? 
Absolutely. No, I think that's a, a great tip because, you know, they're packed full of nutrients, aren't they? Beans and fiber yes. and protein. And fi- Exactly. It touches like, you know, the fiber food group and the protein food group. So it's really important. And those who are kind of thinking of reducing the amount of meat consumption, you're going to need your protein source. And like you said, pulses and legumes are perfect for protein source. Excellent. Some really great essential items to stock the pantry up with. Thank you for that. Now, do you have any favorite recipes you can share with us or any of your favorite dishes to cook? Yes, I do. And I'll, again, we can pop this up on the um, podcast afterwards. So, yes. Um, you know, I'm really very much into like eating with the seasons whenever I can. And so it really is trying to see what's in season, going to the farmer's market, talk to the guy selling, you know, or the lady or the man selling the produce, ask them, you know, how they would cook this particular, you know, leaf or ingredient or food item. So really kind of go with the seasons, explore farmer's markets. And then kind of in terms of recipes, for me, it's kind of a balanced eating. So every meal, there are kind of two things I really try to follow every single meal. And I think, Although there is no diet one size fits all, I kind of think this works for everybody, whether you're a child or you're an adult, but there are basically two things. So one I would say is always try to fill your plate with 50% non-starchy vegetables. So what are non-starchy vegetables? So it's everything from like carrots to courgettes, mushrooms, peppers, tomatoes, all your leafy greens like kale, rocket spinach, watercress, cabbage, celery, spring onions, squash, things like that. So these are all things that are your non-starchy vegetables. That could be half your plate. And if you think about a carrot, something so simple, a carrot could turn into so many different things. It could be Mm -hmm. a soup. You know, if you cook it, it could turn into a soup. It could be roasted. It could be shredded and grated um, on top of a salad. It could be shredded and grated on top of, you know, a takeaway curry that you bought from the local takeaway shop. You know, there are so many ways you could take something like a carrot and cook it differently. You could pickle it, right? In the summertime, you know, I love doing lots of pickles and they just kind of sit in my fridge forever, it seems like. And so if you take a simple vegetable like a carrot, you know, you could bake, boil, you know, make it into soup. Like I said, great pickle, lots of different ways. So think about how you can add more non-starchy vegetables to your plate. And again, a lot of people think it needs to be fresh. Absolutely not. I have frozen broccoli in my freezer. I know, shocking a chef with frozen food. But you know what? On that, you know, Monday night when I'm trying to get both kids down, make dinner for the family, record a podcast, you know, go check it out on <laughs> the maple team, whatever it is. Sometimes I might have forgotten to pick up fresh broccoli. And guess what? I have frozen broccoli in the fridge. And, and that could be added to, let's say, a fried noodle dish that I ordered from a local shop. So I think, of course, yes, we always want to cook from scratch, but I think being able to achieve 50% non-starchy vegetables at your plate every time, you will have to sometimes take shortcuts, whether that means buying a meal outside and then, you know, just, I always say pimping it up with more vegetables is one thing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And then this, the second thing is making sure we have protein with every single meal. And I think that's really important because protein helps us feel fuller for longer. Um, and as well as, as you know, you know, our muscle development really, you know, and you know, overall brain development, even mood development, you know, mood health, all of that, we need protein with every single meal. So I know a lot of times I get the question of, you know, how do I add more protein at breakfast if I'm not eating eggs? But I think it goes back to like, 
having more of these like seeds and nuts and things on hand and these pulses and legumes. Um, so I think it's really, really important, you know, e- even for children, like my daughter sometimes wants some pretty terrible breakfast things, but you know, um, sometimes I let her have it. Why not? I'm not, I'm not going to say what brand of cereal she really likes. You know, I let her <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I let her have that because I'm just not going to fight her that morning, but you know what? I make sure she has like a handful of almonds after you know, yes. just to get some protein in her breakfast. So I think those are kind of like, the two things um, that I talk about. So the recipe I'd love to share with everyone is a non-starchy veg and protein balance bowl, which talks about these components of having your non-starchy veg, how you can cook that and the different ways in which you can swap out one vegetable for another. But the principle is the same is that every meal you should have kind of 50% of your plate non-starchy veg, then you have your protein and how you can kind of continuously swap out that protein, but essentially be using the same cooking technique. Great. Sounds fantastic. So we'll pop that in the show notes. So thank you for that. And that's it. Sometimes we do have to, you know, I've got, you know, organic frozen veg in the in the freezer too, because sometimes when you are pressed for time, you know, you've got to have that go-to just to help, you know, help you out. So I think as long as, you know, the majority of the time you're going for the fresh stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and with kids as well, I agree, you know, sometimes, They've got to have some of these things that they really want. Um, otherwise, you'll never hear the end of it. But it's all about that balance as well. You yeah. know, I have the same with my daughter, you know. It's all about moderation as well, isn't yeah. it, you know? Yeah, I think so. it is about moderation. I think it's, it's you know, to be able to stick to a perfectly pure diet all the time, that alone can be very stressful, right? So I think, you Absolutely. know, don't be so hard on yourself. And those who are getting into the world of natural eating, natural cooking, you know, start small, start swapping smaller things, you know, you know, trying to see if you can, you know, do 50% veggie on your plate once a week, then do twice a week, then maybe do, you know, move eventually work your way up to like 80% of the time. So I think it doesn't have to be all encompassing everything big all at once. Um, You can kind of start small. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing with some people, they find it all a bit overwhelming and they yeah. just think, oh, it's just too hard basket. I'm just not yeah. even going to start. So, you know, one, one other one, like I, I just, you know, as we're talking about being busy, like I, when I was, um, again, when I used to work from the office, I wouldn't always have time to either swing by one of my cafes to grab a maple meal, but, you know, certainly I'd go to the, the supermarkets, um, the grocery store on the high street, get a pre-made soup. But what I'd always do is buy a bag of greens. So I'd buy a bag of washed cut baby spinach or rocket, like arugula or um, watercress. And then what I would do is I would heat up the soup and then I just dump the entire bag. Usually it's 80 grams, which is one portion of vegetables. Anyways, I dump that bag of baby spinach right into the soup. And there you have it. You're getting, you know, a really quick soup that doesn't necessarily have all the nutrition you want it, but you can just kind of pimp it up by dumping in a bag of like greens in there or cut up a, you know, you can cut up a cucumber and eat the cucumber on the side with your soup, something like that, you know, great. Just add more veg. Yeah. I love that. Pimp it up. (laughs) (laughs) Pimp up your food. For for all the, for all the British people listening, sorry, my, my Canadian American slang, you know, can't, can't help but jump in sometimes. So no, I love it. Okay. Fantastic. So now just before we finish up, I just wanted to touch on cooking for specific dietary requirements and health conditions. Cause I know this is a very popular module on the natural chef course. So do you have any tips for catering for special dietary requirements? Yeah. So great question. I think this has been something that just kind of has, you know, come up more and more and more and more with 
running the business maple as well as just kind of like as an individual. I mean, for myself, this has become a very recent hot topic. I'm very fortunate in terms of being a chef and I don't actually have any allergies to any foods that I, at least not that I know of. And I eat pretty much everything and anything. And, but because of my son who's seven weeks, he's having a lot of gastrointestinal issues and naturally as a first step it is to look at the mother's diet because I am breastfeeding and so I've just now joined the free from train so I am off of dairy soy wheat gluten and eggs Mm -hmm. so you know when I tell friends like oh that must be awful you can't eat anything and actually that that's (laughs) not true that's not true at all it's about making making some swaps So there are some very, very basic swaps. And again, not surprisingly, it goes back to my kind of pantry list. So instead of having things like pasta and bread and things like that as carbs, you can easily swap those for things like your pulses and legumes. Again, as long as you're not allergic there, they still provide a certain amount of carbohydrates as well into your diet. They have kind of that same satisfying feeling as eating something that's quite carb heavy, especially when you have things like hummus. I don't know if you find that as well, like something like a, like a hummus or a dip, things that are kind of pureed, it has kind of that same satiating feeling mm, as you're eating yeah. carbs. So I think definitely swap out, get rid of all the breads, the pastas and things like that for now and swap it to pulses and legumes. And of course, if you're really craving, you know, kind of, you know, pasta and things that you can always buy the free from versions. But my first reach is to go for the whole food, the natural whole food first. And then if you want, you can start introducing some of those kind of more processed things that have made to become, you know, the suit that your dietary requirements, that's kind of the first thing. And then also, again, dairy, again, going back to again, an earlier discussion with these kind of like seeds and nut butter. So instead of having, you know, yogurts, dairy-based sauces, like dressings and things like that, you can get rid of all that and swap that with like tahini or sesame seed, you know, having almond butter, having some of these paste things at home and just oils as well, like having like sesame oil to enhance the flavor by by swapping out dairy. And of course, like on, on the milk front nowadays, there's so many options, right? The nut milks and the oat milks and all of that. Um, those are so easy to, to make a swap. And again, I think about when I started maple, you know, back then, it was very hard to find dairy alternatives, right? The biggest thing was soy. Yes. And now we have so many wonderful options, even like macadamia nut milk, you know, macadamia nut milk, hot chocolate is the best thing to have during Christmas. Oh, yummy. It is so delicious. So you get your, you can get your hands off some macadamia nut milk. It is quite pricey. So maybe it's more of a treat thing, but just those are, I would say the big ones is swapping out your breads and pastas with your pulse and legumes and then swapping out your dairies with your nuts based um, butters and milk alternatives are some really, really easy swaps. No, that's fantastic. And as you say, it's a hell of a lot easier to do this now because the shops, you know, as you say, there's a whole row of milk alternatives Mm -hmm. and, you know, lots of different, you know, even like the coconut yogurts and things like that. There's, you know, there's heaps of choice now. So so it does make it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think when people say we've got to cut out dairy, and I know that's a big one for parents, they sort of like, mm-hmm. it's like shock horror, and they yeah, sort of like, oh my gosh, what is my child going to eat? Um, so yes, I think um, having those alternatives is really great. So thank you for sharing those. Um, and a big thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. It's been absolutely fantastic, and I know it's going to inspire so many people. Um, so what's next for you, Adria? What other projects have you got on the horizon? With kind of everything that's going on, 
we're actually looking at launching a whole new menu range for maple. So we're doing a very much a kind of more indulgent range that's focused a bit more on the dinner occasion. I think traditionally we're very much maple food. We did a lot of salads and juices and smoothies and our gluten-free bakery, which we still have, but now we're introducing a hot food kind of dinner range that's going to be available for delivery. So my week this week has been tasting food. So I've been going into the kitchen, working with the chefs there. The chefs have then been sending me food every day. I think I'm due for a uh, a delivery of food probably the next half an hour we're working on the packaging so I've been looking at um, with our design team we've been looking at different packaging mock-ups colors uh, color palettes Uh, next Tuesday I'm doing a photo shoot actually a CNM graduate who I've worked with who um, did a bit of interning with me is coming on set with me to do our photo shoot on Tuesday next week so she was one of the students I taught actually and she's just starting off her career as a food stylist so you know I needed someone to help me you know I have to breastfeed in between the photo shoots I was like why don't you come on down (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so she's going to help me so we're going to be doing a photo shoot next Tuesday with her and so really like launching this new range is something I'm looking forward to working the immediate term and then in the longer term you know um you know, I've been talking to Herman, the principal at CNM. You know, we really want to work on a cookbook together. This is something we've been talking about. I don't know when it's going to happen, but <gasps> exciting! Uh, yeah, we really want to work on a cookbook. So early stages, but certainly, you know, everyone listening out there, please stay tuned. I'm sure Michelle will share all our social handles. Please follow us and, and stay tuned on, on what's happening on that front as well. But I've been thinking about a cookbook, kind of working on it since I started Maple, but just never found time. So I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if I'll still find time this time around, but. Um, <laughs> You've certainly got your hands full, but it is, it's a big project. But I think once yeah. you set your mind to it, you, yeah. you just chip away at it, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you've had a chance to do something with Rachel DeTample, a, a fellow lecturer with myself at the, you know, she's actually the course director at The Natural Chef, but she has published. I can't even count now. I think she must be on her like 10th or 12th cookbook by now, but she's the right. Yes. She's fantastic. Well, we did a podcast episode with her on fermentation. So um, yeah, Rachel's great. And yeah, she's just got her new book that she's launched on how to ferment food. There you go. (laughs) She's the resident kind of, I, I would say the cookbook person I'd go to if I need help. Yeah, oh, that's super excited. So yeah, lots, lots in the pipeline for you, Adrian. Yes, we'll we'll pop some details in the show notes, and um, yeah, get this shared on on socials and stuff. Awesome. So that's fantastic. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening, and a big thank you to Adria for sharing her wealth of knowledge and experience with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Adria in the show notes on the CNN website at www cnmpodcast.com and if you're interested in learning more about becoming a natural chef or a vegan natural chef head to www.naturalchef.com and if you're interested in learning more about nutrition or natural therapies you can check out cnm's range of short courses and diplomas now we've got a series of open events coming up and you can find all the details on the website at www.naturopathy-uk.com under the events tab Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.